days, unfortunately. Um, we uh, okay, so let's get started. Um, and Ken is going to come in in a minute because the copy machine was taking a longer time than I thought. I think it's my fancy no staple staple takes longer, and so it's going to be a second. Uh, well, don't worry, we haven't started yet. We haven't. You're doing fine. You're uh, yeah. Um, you know, it's like at the, on the airplane, and you're like waiting and waiting and waiting, and then like two people come running in right at the end, and you're like, all right, no, we know we were waiting for you. Um, but uh, we're glad that they got on the, oh, did, did, did we give you a new job? Here, the, okay, well then, well then here, take one and pass it along as you go here too. Um, so last week, we're still talking about the rabbis and the human condition, right? The rabbis and humanity, what does it mean to be a human? Last week, what did we mostly talk about? This is both a uh, check for understanding to see if any of it sunk in, but also just a recap, because I don't remember. What did we talk about last week? Human beings. Thanks, Ed. <laughs> I'll make the jokes. Sorry, Mr. Snyder. I'll make the jokes. So we talked about right the creation of human beings, and you, you were right, Ed, you were right, you had it. We talked about the creation of human beings, and specifically sort of what is our nature. And we looked at a bunch of different midrashim, which is rabbinic imaginative uh, stories about the creation of human beings. Right? We talked about how the angels really don't want humans to be created, but God does want to create them. And we talked about some of the ways in which that, right, if you recall, the angels are basically worried because humans are going to be the worst, right? We're just going to be terrible. We're going to violate things. We're going to be lie. We're going to all this bad stuff. But God, but then other angels are like, yes, but they might actually be nice sometimes. And God's like, all right, I'm going to give it a try. Um, if we need more, I, I should have printed out uh, is there a stash of them somewhere? I mean, I made 80 copies, so I would assume, but, but if I needed more, no, 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 no. Um, let's have some people share for now, and then we can, we can make more for sure. That's good. If we're only a little bit off, yeah. What? It's a new one from last week, yeah. It's a new one from last week. Sure, if you don't mind, just a, f just a few. Thank you, Lisa. I promise I won't teach anything interesting till you get back. No, 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 you can, you can come. <laughs> okay, so still by way of just the recap, right? So what we sort of looked at last week was that God essentially baked imperfection into humanity. That is a bug, nope, sorry, other way around, a feature, not a bug, right, of who we are. Um, we saw, I think that's sort of the main gist of what we did last week. And if anyone remembers anything else they want to bring up, but we looked at sort of the nature of what it sort of meant to create humanity. What we're going to look at, oh, 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 the other one is communal. Thank you. That's the other one is that we are also clearly by the way of we were created, created to be in relationship with other human beings and perhaps also with, you know, God. That's sort of the where we where where last we saw our heroes. That's what's going on. Yep, last yeah. 
Well, then why don't we wait until 8.45 when we're done, and I promise we can, but I do appreciate the preface. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Is this the, the word that's used there? Yeah, that's for 8.45. 8.45. Okay. So, let's look now at what is the reason, what, how are humans supposed to behave? So now that we've been created, and if you remember that great uh, scene where the, the angels are going back and forth and like, should we make them? Should we not make them? Should we make? I don't know. Should we? Should we? Shouldn't we? Should we? And God's like, um, I made human beings like a year ago, guys. Like, I don't know why you're still talking, right? So they're here. We're here. We're, we're humans. What are we supposed to do? That is now the question we're going to turn to tonight. So we did the nature of humanity. Now we're looking at how we should act in the world, given that nature. Sound good? Great. All right. So we're going to go to the beginning, which is a very good place to start. Would someone like to read? Oh, I don't have my hand held here tonight. Oh, you all got out of having to read. Okay. I'm going to read for you. We're going to look at the creation of humanity. By the way, for those of you who've read this story before, how many times were human beings created? Twice. You've all seen this. Okay. So then let's look at the first time. God says, Let us make man in our image and let them have dominion over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky over the cattle over all the earth and all the creeping things that creep upon the earth. Right? By the way, that let us make man in our image... That is A, going to come up in a minute about the image thing, but B, that's where the rabbis get that whole midrash of God having this debate with the angels about whether or not they should be made in the first place because God's the one that introduces it as a conversation. Okay, then. So it works. God creates man in God's own image. In the image of God created God, male and female, God created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and ma- oh, I totally gave it away with the bold. No, it's not a quiz anymore. And master it and rule it. The fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the living things that creep upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb yielding seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree which is the fruit of a tree, yield- tree yielding seed to you. It shall be for food. Okay. So what is the divine charge for humanity according to Genesis Chapter 1. We are in control of the earth, right? We are here to kivshuha urdu, right? We are here to, um, lichvosh is to like, you know, squash or rule or master, however you want to do it, right? But it's a dominating word, right? We are, right, to conquer, exactly. We are meant to conquer and rule the fish and the birds and the living things that creep upon the earth. That is our job. Sounds pretty good, right? Oh, no, I'm seeing some no's. Why why no, Marsha? Ah, turn with me to chapter two then, okay? Um, they could, oh, by the way, so this is actually an interesting, right? Is this proscript, pre, proscriptive or descriptive, right? Is this, is God saying, 
you must master and rule the earth, and without you, the earth will have no master and ruler, and it will just fall and crumble and be terrible and horrible? Or is it, that's, that will be descriptive, right? Or is it prescriptive of, you are, I put you in the land here, and you are going to master and dominate and control the world, right? Not so different, but slightly different, right? Says Marsha that like, you know, it seems like actually the bamboo would be doing fine without us and maybe even be doing better without us, or right? Or the panda bears or the, why I'm on that side of the, the globe. Um, okay, let's look at Genesis chapter two, shall we? So, so, and again, this is probably review for people who've seen this a million times, um, but then we'll get to Soloveitchik and he's super fun. Uh, so, when the Lord God made earth and heaven, when no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused its rain upon the earth, and then it was okay. All right, sorry. Uh, you can't yada yada the Torah, but still, we're going to move on. Um, right? So this is a second creation story, right, that happens. And this creation story, we get the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the life, and man became a living soul. We remember this line from last week. If you don't, that's okay, right? But what did we learn from last week about this? First of all, we're all made of dust. Dust from where? All the four corners of the earth so that no human being could be like, hey, you, get out of here. You don't belong on this part of the earth, and we're not part of it, right? We're all part of all the dust of all the places, all the people. And this idea of whatever this nefesh chayim means, right, that you are a living soul, which we looked at the translation of Uncleus, which says speaking soul, right, that there's so something talking, whatever that means, that's what sets human beings apart. We've done all that. Now comes the next thing, and he says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and he put there a man whom he had formed, etc. Then you get to this, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to till it and to tend it. Le'ovda u'leshomra, right? La'avod, to work, lishmor, to protect, right? That's what the charge given to human beings, she's over here, if you want to come sit, but you don't have to, but if you want uh, your, your Ezra Konegdo is sitting right over there. Sorry, please don't leave the shoal. Uh, okay. Oh, it's, should, we, should we work it out in front of, okay. You're good, sorry. Okay. All right, never a dull moment here at Thursday Night Learning. All right. It's like late night with the rabbis. Okay. Um, so... We're tilling and we're tending. What's the difference between tilling and tending and working and or mastering and ruling? I, I mean, I mean that seriously, right? If you had to think of, so I've set it up and you've probably seen this before. Human beings are created twice in the Torah. They're given two different uh, uh, charges, right? One is master and dominate. One is till and tend. So obviously the answer is going to be what's our job? Both, right? Exactly. Whatever rabbis ask, it's always both. It's a, right. So the question, though, is what's at stake here? Right? Are these just four different words that all mean the same thing, which you could perhaps argue, or are they two separate missions? And if so, what are those two separate missions? So let's take a second. Uh, let's just do it out with all of us. We'll, we'll turn to our neighbor another time tonight. Um, so what? Give me, help me out here. What are those two different missions, yeah, Arthur?
Yeah, it's like a, a flat structure of, right, okay. One is more hierarchical. One is a little bit more, we're working in partnership with the birds and trees and squirrels and dirt and things, right? Great, yeah. Nice, right? Great. We've got a, a good old-fashioned medieval commentary who's like, there's not two stories, it's the same thing, and it's just one after the other. And, great. So it's how are you going to master and control it? By tilling and tending it. Right? That's actually not a crazy read. Right? That's, that's nice. What else? Yeah. want to come finish the class. That's, that's really good. That's really good. No, that's good. So, okay. So, um, did people, did everyone hear that? That was beautiful. I cannot say it that well, but we did. And by the way, remember last week we read the, the Gemara that says human beings are like angels in six ways and we're like animals in, or three, three ways we're like angels and three ways we're like animals, right? It's a similar thing that like animals are fully on this level and angels are only on this level and we are the beings that get to do both. Very cool. Um, very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. Nice. Now, right, that's an interesting way to look at it, right? Which is, one could argue that you can master and rule and also have respect for the things that you're mastering and ruling, but tilling and tending requires it one would right like like tilling and tending you have to know something about the things that you're tilling and tending you have to right and and you have to think about the other piece that, that we're going to get to this with salvation in just a second is you have to think about what they need in order to till and tend something in order to master and rule something you don't necessarily have to you just have to think about what you need or want it's, i mean yeah okay yeah let's take one more hand Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, protecting has a different meaning than tending, which, by the way, might be why. Thank you, doctor. I appreciate that. Um, it's those ECC parents. They're super loud. Um, they're the worst. Uh, so. <laughs> No, no, yeah. Right. That's interesting. Now, I like that. And by the way, if you want to go with David's, it's chronological, you could also say, like, it might be a process of trial and error. Like, God first is like, master in control, everybody. Whoa, 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 whoa. Right? Let, uh, maybe we're actually going to need to say protect and till once God sees what humans start to do. Like, you could argue a lot of that here. Yeah, Taryn, and then I, we got to get to at least one more text. But oh, I didn't say my usual um, caveat, which is 
I have a problem. I can't help myself. I have to fill up every page of everything with sources. We have four full pages here. We are not going to get to all four pages of sources, and that is okay. Don't feel stressed about it. We can always pick up with it again next week or talk about it another time. Okay, sorry, Taryn, go ahead. Great. Great. By the way, it's, it is totally possible to say that they are, in fact, kind of the same thing, right? Like, like that's, that's a fair read as well, and that it might just be different aspects of it, but mastering and ruling, you also have to understand the things you're mastering and ruling if you're going to do it well, etc., etc. That's a good point. So, so Soloveitchik, Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik, um, who was, um, come on, help me with his dates. Uh, did, uh, he died in the, right, in the 80s of some kind, and he was Rosh Hashiva of YU from, for a long time, right? I don't remember exactly. He was the Rosh Hashiva of, of Yeshiva University in, this, in, in, the, in the 20th century. I'd say I can't remember, remember exactly, and I forgot to look it up. But he, um, and he's, I mean, this kind of matters, kind of doesn't, but here's just some fun random knowledge. He's from the Brisker tradition, and their whole thing is trying to, like, harmonize every disparate thing in rabbinic literature, and it actually all works to one purpose, which is why it sort of makes sense that this thing is something that he wrote a whole book about, but that's neither here nor there. So he writes a, a very beautiful essay um, called Lonely Man of Faith. And in the Lonely Man of Faith, which we're not going to get into all of what it is, but it's it's gorgeous and it's relevant and i you know uh, i know i told you all to read boober this year but like he's a little bit easier to read than boober so maybe go with him um so he pulls out sort of this dichotomy of what he calls or a lot of people call adam one and adam two adam one is the adam and eve that's created in genesis chapter one the master and dominate adam two is the adam and eve that are created in genesis chapter two the tilling and tending and he teases out what that might actually look like for uh, us today um and this the yeah okay so um, someone want to read this? I, I'll repeat it if you, but we're, we're all close enough here. Someone want to read um, the cognitive movement of attraction? Yeah. Thank you. Please. Thank you. Okay, so what's, how does he look at what Adam 1 is? What is Adam 1 driven by? And what makes Adam 1 sort of successful? Adam 1 is driven by selfish desire. Again, according to Soloveitchik in this, right? But Adam 1 is driven by selfish desire to better his own position, right? And what, how does Adam 1 know that Adam 1 is successful, right? What, what, is, what makes Adam 1 a dignified existence? 
and powerful, right? That, so, so for Adam 1, for this way of looking at a human, you are constantly driven to dominate not only the natural world, but others. And one is only majestic and, and dignified to the extent that one is not helpless. Right? Helplessness equals undignified. Only by being powerful is one sort of doing what God wants you to do. Okay? Let's look at the second one. Then we're going to talk about both these things together, and then we'll um, move on. Uh, I think this is super interesting. This was actually the runner-up for this year's Rosh Hashanah sermon. So if it happens again, you'll have to pretend like you didn't hear this already. Okay? But, all right. So thank you for letting me find an outlet for it somewhere. All right. So Adam 2. Someone want to read this for us? Who's in an Adam 2 mood right now? Well, you, you are Adam 1. You're, you're majestic and powerful over there. So... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. I like it. Fine. The joke wins you the read. You can do it. Okay, good. <laughs> um, if you flip the page, there's uh, another one. Let's do the next one. Yeah, please. Okay, so we're going to come back to this a bunch tonight, um, what, what this idea here is. So... What are we talking now? By the way, we can note that Soloveitchik has sort of moved Adam II out of the sort of agrarian world, right, of dominating fishes and squirrels and birds, right? This is this is now something a little bit deeper going on. So what as we're looking, we talked about Adam one. So what's Adam II's what is it what drives Adam two? And how does Adam two know that they are successful? This one's a hard one, but it's good. Maslow's right, yeah. This is, no, good, thank you. Bring all the, all the psychology you want in here. Um, uh, <laughs> so, what drives, so what drives Adam to, apparently? I mean, this is a big word and it's, it's a lot, but what drives Adam to is apparently ontological awareness, which is a fancy way of saying what? Being, right? Nice job, right? You guys are so smart. Uh, it's very intimidating. Are you ontological, right? So Adam too is dignified through ontological awareness, awareness of his own being. Redemptiveness does not have to be acted out vis-a-vis -vis the outside world, but he intuits his existence as worthwhile, legitimate, and adequate, anchored in something stable and unchangeable. So it's not about a desire to dominate others or other things. What does Adam to desire? To what? Self-control, right, so that's right, exactly. So, so, so through the first passage I gave you, it's some kind of stability, some kind of like, 
this Adam too like sits on a rock on the beach and just goes home or whatever, right? Like that sort of Adam too is like sufficient in their own ontological awareness without needing to stack up against everyone else, right? They're, exactly. Adam too has nothing to prove, but Adam too. Right? Adam 2's, and that's sort of how Adam knows he's successful. And Adam 2's sort of desire or goal is, seems to be self-control. Right? Restraint is where Adam 2 gets his uh, worth from. Yeah? Right. Well, so this is, I, 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 I want to point that out, right? Soloveitchik makes this very internal. This does not, like when we sort of, I'll say, about, I'll talk about myself. When I read Adam Genesis chapter 2 and see to guard and to till, I see Adam 2 as this like, you know, warrior farmer like out there defending the world and gardening and it's it's Hector by the way it's Hector of Troy but like this is a whole thing we can talk about that another time um but right like this is not that right this Adam is not out there with the green thumb necessarily according to Salvechik is not like out there you know protecting all the squirrels this Adam is just sort of practicing self-restraint which, by the way, shows you what do you think? What does Soloveitchik think the greatest threat to the squirrels and the trees and the everything is? An unrestrained man, right? Exactly. So, because it's not that Soloveitchik doesn't know how to translate Lishmor Lavod, right? It's I think he's specifically setting it as this. Um, if you look at the last quote that I gave you from Lonely Man of Faith. God summoned Adam the first to advance steadily, Adam the second to retreat, Adam the first he told to exercise mastery and fill the earth and subdue it, Adam the second to serve. He was placed in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it, Adam the second has never forgotten that he is just a handful of dust. Beautiful, like I said, read the essay. It's like, it's not that long, it's gorgeous. Um, because by the way, is one of these better or worse than the other? I ask in a loaded way. <laughs> Yeah. To Cain and Abel. Interesting. I'll I'll repeat. So you want if you want to try to overlay it on Cain and Abel, and you want to say Cain is the Adam one and Abel is the Adam two, which does, by the way, sort of try to put it into these eternal categories of good and bad, right? Because we've all sort of said that Cain is bad and we don't know much about Abel. And perhaps, although interestingly, Cain's the farmer, right? Abel is the hunter. So it's not, I don't know if it actually stacks up on the Cain and Abel piece. Um, but I see trying to do that, right? And trying to sort of say there are these two eternal archetypes of humans, an Adam one and an Adam two, and the Adam ones out there are trying to dominate the world, and the Adam twos out there got to try to protect it, right? Like you could see the, it's the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe right here, the Adam ones versus the Adam twos, and that joke would have killed in another crowd, okay, guys? But it's... <laughs> It's, that it's just totally good and evil, right? I, yeah. Right. Yeah, I hear that. 
Now, I, I hear that, and, and, and perhaps, right? It could be that as we move forward and think about it with Cain and Abel, it's also, they're, they're complicated. They're complicated figures. And, and by the way, that's exactly what Saul of Achik says, right? That no one is wholly Adam one or wholly Adam two. All of us have both inside of us, right? We, have, we all heard the call and we have the ability to be selfish, self, right, to work for ourselves, try to dominate others, stack ourselves up against other people to see how we measure up, right, and, and sort of earn our self-worth by control of others, right? We all have that in us. And by the way, says Salvechik, that's a good thing. It, if, if it were not for Adam 1, right? Adam 1 is the reason why we have, you know, science, right, or, 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 or cars, or cities, or all of these things we want. You know, a quote I didn't give you because I thought maybe it would be, never mind. Uh, but there's, there's a quote in the Talmud that says, right, that were it not for the Yetzer Hara, right, our desire for to do bad or, or to have sex or whatever it is, right, human beings wouldn't ever, like, build a house or have a, uh, what it would build a house or build a city or farm or, right, like, like everything we do is basically just to dominate and control and whatever, right, like, and so, Adam one is necessary, right? We all have that in us, and we also all have Adam two in us, right? The ability to think about others, the ability to gain our self-worth, not be by the way that we dominate other people, but by the way we dominate ourselves and have control over ourselves and what we can do to guard and to protect the world around us, right? We exist with both of these things. Sorry, yeah, Marsha, go ahead, please. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Totally. And totally, totally, totally. And and I want to so that we can get to uh, at least one or two other texts. But like, no, no. I think. I mean, we could all think to ourselves: if you were to create, like, what do you think the perfect percentages are, right, of Adam one and Adam two in a person, right? I'll I'll I'll, I'll say it like I think it's probably like. 20% Adam 1 and 80% Adam 2, right? Like, I think, like, in the world today, we, we need a little bit more Adam 2 than Adam 1. Like, but it's not, but, and I, and I, I mean, I believe that, but it's not to say that Adam 1 is bad or wrong, right? It's not that simple. We do need to, you know, have that drive, have that ability. You know, we need to defend the walls of the city. We need to, you know, like, it's, that's the necessary thing just in the right proportion. Okay, I wanna move on to the next text because I wanna do at least one more because this one is sort of wholly different than the other and then we're gonna look at a couple things that are similar. So in the, in the Talmud, we just jumped back a few thousand years, 1500 years, right? 
So the Talmud is asking the same question of how should human beings behave? And in offering it, they look also to a verse of the Torah, but a later verse in the Torah, okay? So um, this one is, uh, um, I've got the mic, I'll keep reading. Um, Rabbi, Rabbi Chama, what? Yeah, Rabbi Chama, son of Rabbi Hanina says, what is the meaning of the verse? After the Lord your God you shall walk, and God shall you fear, and God's commandments shall you keep, and unto God's voice shall you hearken, and God shall you serve, and unto God shall you cleave. Okay, that's Tevarim, chapter 13, verse 5. They say, is it actually possible? Now that seems to be saying what? If we're not looking at... uh, the commentary yet. What does it mean when I say, after the Lord God you shall walk and God you shall fear and keep God's commandments and their voice you shall hearken and serve and cleave? What does that mean? Yeah, mumbling silence is the right answer because we don't really know what it is. But sorry, you someone had an idea? Stick to God? Who said stick? Stick to God. What does that mean? Great. We're on team God. And you want to stay, no, seriously, right? And you want to stay on that, on team God and stick with God. So um, they say, how could you do this? Right? Also, hasn't the Torah already said in Devarim chapter 4, the Lord God is a devouring fire, a jealous God. Meaning, like, God's this devouring fire. Like, you, you wouldn't say stick to the fire. Like, it's too close. It's going to burn you or something like that. So they say, rather, the meaning is that one should follow the attributes of the Holy One, blessed be God, just as God clothes the naked, as it is written, the Lord God made Adam from the skin of the white of the garment and clothes him, so too should you clothe the naked, just as the Holy One, blessed be God, visits the sick, as it is written, so too should you visit the sick, just as the Holy One, blessed be God, consoles the mourners, you see where this is going, so too should you console the mourners, just as the Holy One, blessed be God, buried the dead, as it is written, and he was buried in the valley of the land of Moab, so too should you bury the dead. So first, at a hundred million feet, what are they saying? The point of human existence, right? According to the Torah that says you shall walk in God's ways means to do what? There we go. Right. Yes, yes, and yes, but the, the, the top level that I'm looking for, right, is that you should imitate God, right? Which goes to stick with God, right? It, I mean, it makes sense, right? What? Follow the path. And if you want to know what the path is, just do what the big guy does, right? Seems pretty logical, right? Whatever God does, that's what God wants us to do. And by the way, we have a list of things in the Torah that we've seen God do that we're going to pick out here. And it's clothing the naked, it's um, visiting the sick, consoling the mourners, burying the dead. Okay, now this goes to the chesed, which you're caring for others, which you're exactly right, because by the way, there are other things in the Torah that we see God do that don't make this list, right? It doesn't say, by so God rained fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah, so too should you rain fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah, or what, right? It doesn't, it's just these. So now let's take a second and look at what these are. So we have the general principle, right, which here's your fancy Latin, is imitatio dei, right, that that our goal in life is to try to be like God. You could argue, 
right? That's slightly different than some of the things we've been talking about. That's what I'm saying. This is wholly different to say, not that we're going to be the best humans we can be and that we're going to try to overcome, uh, you know, the imperfections of our beginnings and just try to muddle through and be the best. No, this is, you need to be like God, right? Try to do what God has done. And why are these the things that there are? And let's do this. Take a second, because we've got to do it at least once a night. Turn to the person next to you. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. Say, hi, my name is Ethan. It's nice to meet you. Why are, what, is, what do these things have in common? Why are they the thing that they're pointing out we need to do in order to be like God? Ready, set, go. Okay. All right, what do we got? So, what's the, what connects these things and why are they what we got to do to be a God? Yeah. Oh, sure. What is, what is God jealous of? Other, us worshiping other gods is my best guess based on context clues from the Torah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Right. Now, by the way, and I didn't even put this in here because it's just so like part of our souls. Why should we give me the proof text for why we should see other human beings as if they are like God? Ooh, that, that, that ding went right just the right time. It's <laughs> great. Because we just read, right? Because we are made in God's image, right? We are all made in God's image. 
And that, by the way, goes to this Adam 1, right? On the one hand, Adam 1, we are all made in God's image. Therefore, we're super, super great. And we're the most important thing in the entire world. And also, Adam 2, so are other people. Let's try to keep you guys entertained late at night, okay? All right. So are other people created in God's image also. And so we need to treat them as such. Great. So what's the deal with these things? It's about caring for other people. Yeah. Great. So I, I want to unpack a few of those things at once. So one is these circumstances specifically require a lot of compassion. Why? Because they're almost all of them are when the human involved is helpless in some way, right? They're in need in some way. And so we in this role, right? By the way, much the same way that all of us are helpless in the face of God, right? Because God, and God deigns to help us. So therefore we should deign to help others, right? Because we have want to try to be like God, which means we don't say, you know, oh, you're sick. Well, too bad. You got to just heal yourself because I'm busy or whatever. Like you're supposed to say, no, I'm going to try to comfort the sick. I'm going to see what I can do because God helps us when we're in distress. So we help others when they're in distress. That's a nice, I saw a hand go up though. Barbara, did you want to say Nice. So it's also a piece of almost all of these are not just when another human is in distress, but at risk of losing their dignity. And so if we say that we need to look out for the dignity of others because they are all in the image of God, because that's what it means to be Adam too in this, right? So these are the moments when you should look around and say, how can I help you? You need clothes. How can I help you? You need to be buried because otherwise it's, you know, the indignity of all indignities. Like, how can I help you? And that's something that we're supposed to do in this moment. Um, yeah, we're going to just run around the circle and then we're going to keep going. But yeah, please. Great. Great. Yeah. Yes. A hundred, nice. Love it. Exactly right. By the way, that's actually what some of the rabbis on this, on this part of the Talmud say, that, that the clothing the naked means taking care of babies. And exactly, it means you need to care about other people from birth to death. Beautiful. Yeah, doctor. How, say more. Yeah. Uh, nice. Nice. I love it. So, so this, so you're saying, right, um, get out of here with all your froofy soul talk, Rabbi. This is health code. This is, no, which is good. I, I like it. It's an, yeah. No, no, I like it. Right. Because by the way, it's totally could be very practical, which is these are the things that you need to do or else society will collapse. Right. There are other, other things are like, okay, so you keep Shabbos, you don't keep Shabbos, you whatever. Shabbos, it's not, it's not, don't tell God I said that. Right. But like the idea is, but if you don't bury the dead, if you don't console them, if you don't do, this is what it means to have a healthy 
functioning society. Very nice. Marcia, do you want to? Nice. Very nice. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, let's. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Miss Leeds. Good. Right, it goes to the Salvagic line, right? Adam too has never forgotten that he's just a handful of dust, right? That like to be human means to recognize the awesome power of our souls and our abilities and the awesome weakness of our flesh and Adam's and right and like and that we live in the physical world and that we are both on that on Aviva Zornberg's vertical plane but also can't fully escape the horizontal plane either right that they're both we're there it's it's really that's beautiful yeah That's nice. That's a nice, so in that way you can read this part of the Talmud as, um, I'm, I'm trying to say that it's speaking like a fundamental truth about existence, which it might be, but it also might be that the rabbis, again, understanding that humanity needs a bit of a check on its own nature sometimes, is like, you know what we're going to highlight about God and that you should be? The part where you're caring for other people, the part where you're caring for the weak, the part where you're trying to live in balance and harmony, right? Not the part where you're dominating. And it also goes a little bit to, again, you could read master and dominate and you could read parts of the Torah and you could maybe, and you could think, okay, you know, whatever, however you want to put it, survival of the fittest, right? Best we're going to win out, whatever, you know, you don't owe anyone anything. If they're weak, that's their problem. If they don't have clothes, that's on them. If they're right, you could read that. And this is sort of coming to say, not only is that not how humans are supposed to act, but when you stop and help someone else, right? And you can almost imagine the scene in your head of like some guy being like, why are you helping that poor yutz? They don't need, you know, like, what are you, you're weak for helping, and you're, you know, like, whatever, whatever. Um, 
There's a great Guardians of the Galaxy reference I can make right now, but I'm not going to, but just trust me, it's in there, right? That, that you see compassion as a weakness, and this is saying compassion is divine literally divine, right? Like when someone is being compassionate and caring for others, they're not only doing what's right, they are coming the closest to God that human beings are able to get, right? Like that's huge. It's important. Yeah, Howard, please. Uh One time. Nice. That's nice. Cool. I like that. I like that's great. That's a yeah. We are. It's so in such in that way. It's not we're doing exactly what God did, but we are living the way God wants us to. In the, we're we are extending God's project or something. I like it. I like it. Let's say yeah, please. Yeah. Nice. Right. Right. Nice. So let's, um, that's, that's awesome. And, and it's actually a great lead in to the next thing. So let's, so, um, I really love the Talmud on the bottom of the page. Uh, we'll do it really quick and then I'm going to get to this attributes. The tone on the bottom of the page is just um, this great baraita. The sages taught um, about those who are insulted and do not insult, who hear their shame and do not respond, who act out of love and are joyful in suffering. Um, who, the verse says, and they that love him are as the sun going forth in its might. Um, and there's this idea, well, I don't know what that means to you, but I find this, I, I really like this passage. I think it's about this idea of restraint that we've been talking right? Those who are insulted and don't insult. Those who, um, who hear their shame and do not respond. Like there's something about humans have this amazing power. And one of the things that we need to do, like the sun, which could burn us all alive if we were too close to it, right? Is restrain, be a little bit held back, not, you know, not not get insulted by everything or not speak every moment, right? Like, I think there's something cool about that idea. Let's flip the page to Maimonides here. So we're jumping ahead um, to Maimonides. We've seen him before um, in his laws. He has the laws of thought, which is a pretty, Maimonides did not have a problem with um, confidence, let's say. Yeah, he was, here's my laws of thought. Um, And so, Maimonides says, the two extremes of each trait, which are at a distance from one another, do not reflect a proper path. It is not fitting that a man should behave in accordance with these extremes or teach them to himself. What does that mean in plain old English? Moderation. Yeah, happy medium. Aristotle at its finest. That's Maimonides here. So we should find a middle path between each sort of trait pairing that you could come up with. And he does end up listing a bunch of them, but we're going to skip over it. 
Um, if he finds that his nature leans towards one of the extremes, right, or adapts easily to it, if he has learned one of the extremes and acts accordingly, he should bring himself back to what is proper and walk in the path of the good men. This is the straight path, right? That in, he says that involves the midpoint temperament of each and every trait that man possesses within his personality. This verse is the trait which is equidistant. Okay, we did this. Wait, where's the part I wanted? Therefore, the sages instructed man to evaluate his traits to calculate them and to direct them along the middle path so that he will be of sound of body. Okay, so I think this is kind of interesting because Maimonides is basically taking exactly what we looked at last week, which is that human beings are created with all these different pairs, right? What is it? I, I, I can't remember. Truth says... No, they're going to be all nothing but falsehood. And then righteousness is like, but they will do acts of righteousness. And then Chesed is like, oh, they're going to be the worst. And then, right, 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 right. There's this whole back and forth. And we are created with this capacity for evil and for good. And so Maimonides says, what's our job? We, Adam 1, Adam 2, etc. What's our job? Right, to make sure we navigate the middle. And who's in charge of that? We are, right? We need to make sure that we, yeah, yeah, feel all the Adam 1 you want most of the time. Feel all the Adam 2 you want most of the time, right? You can be, you, anger's okay, it can be good, but in the middle, right? Sadness is also good and appropriate, but in the middle, right? Like that's what Maimonides wants us to do. And he says, right, it's our job to be reflective practitioners of humanity, of our own existence, and say like, I'm getting a little too far over here, I'm getting a little too far over there, and then we bring ourselves back. I mean, it's easier said than done, but it's nice. I, I, it's an interesting way that he looks at it. Anyone want, I just kind of monologued about Rambam there. Anyone have any questions or comments about Maimonides' way of looking at this? I was going to end with, we'll get to that in a second. That's from a different section, but like, I do have a limit to the number of texts that I'm willing to give you in a night. Um, but yeah, there's, yeah. Right. Great. And it can be hard to do. Here's a really weird example, but I just learned this fact, so I'm going to share it with you. If you ask um, if you ask domestic couples that are of a male and a female, who does the majority of the housework or um, is the housework divvied up equally, right? If in, in houses where both the, male, the man and woman say, yes, the housework is divvied up equally, right? Both agree, right? The general rule is in that household, the woman is doing 70% of the housework. Right? That, that for both people to say it feels equal, right? And so it just, it's a sign that like we are not always good at knowing where the middle is, right? Of, and we, what we might think to ourselves of being like, you know, well, I'm angry, but I'm not too angry. And everyone's like, uh, we have news for you, right? Or something like, it's, it's totally, totally right that to sort of let, give it to the self to govern is difficult, right? Or might be, might be. Yeah. Right, so Maimonides says, later in a different section, he says, all of this is true with all traits except for one. There's one trait that you cannot have too much of, there's no such thing as overboard, and that's humility. 
right? That, that which is interesting because I don't know if I agree with it, but I understand why he's saying it. Yeah. You think ha having... Okay, all right. I might take that. So, so, so I'll repeat it. Concentrating on humility is the thing that allows us to note where we're at. And if we're too much, okay, okay, yeah. I was, I was thinking just the opposite. I was thinking that he was thinking that he was thinking that he was Okay. Oh, by the way, we should make shirts that say it's going to take a little Adam one to get this done. That's, that's good. That's very good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But why, why? Wait, why though? That's interesting, right? You're, I mean, I think you're right. I think there is a measure of Adam one confidence that's needed to sort of think like, I'm in control of my actions. I am in control of who I am and I can change who, right? If I think I'm being too sad, I can be less. If I, I don't know why that's the one I'm going with, but right, if I think I'm being too happy, I can be, I can be less or whatever. That's interesting. Yeah, Josh, you wanna say? A terrible example, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, hmm. I like that. I'll take that. So, humility is the thing. Okay. Did everyone hear it? Okay, good. Yeah, please. That's interesting. Within your person. That's a cool, I, I like, that's interesting. I like that. So even Maimonides lets this be individual specific to some extent. Do you want to say something there? And then, yeah. Right. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
With humility. That's interesting because it's an internal thing. I think we'd have to go to our psychologist to figure out exactly the, uh, the, the there, but no, that's an interesting, it's an interesting point. If it's the only one that's, that's internal focused or not, if it's, it's unclear, by the way, it's unclear my, my Maimonides is getting it, meaning does he think that this is the, humility is the royal road to the other things? It might be. It also is possible we could say that like humility is actually just the one that there's no such thing as too much. Like it's just, like it's, it's just, it's a unique thing. And all the other ones, you gotta have a moderate thing. But humility is like, and humility is not meekness, right? That's not, it's a different, meekness you can have too much of. Humility is like a radical honesty, which might be why it's actually the thing that helps you figure out if you're in the right spot or not, right? But humility, you like can't, uh, can't overdo. All right, let's take one more and then we're gonna do one last text and then we'll uh, say goodnight. Mmm, that's interesting. That's interesting. Especially if that reset, by the way, comes from other people, right? That's a, that's a, cool, that's a cool way to think about it, too. There's a humility is the thing that allows us to have the reset because if I'm fully humble and someone comes to me and they're like, Rabbi, you're a little too angry all the time, or whatever it is, if I'm not humble, I'm going to react badly, right? But if I have the humility to say, you know what, I think you're, you might be right. Let me look at that or let me think. That's an interesting, that's a cool point, that it's the thing that allows the rest of those to happen because it allows us to change who we are. That's nice. Okay, let's do one more. Because the rabbis understood and saw that, right? So just to recap where we're at, what we've sort of said is that being human has, means having all these different things inside of us. And what it means to act like a human can be sort of different, right? And there's these two fundamental dichotomy, this, that's a, whatever, um, that you, right, that we're Adam one and Adam two, and we have the potential for good, we have the potential for you, et cetera, et cetera. And we need some kind of restraint on it. And so Maimonides and the others are saying, okay, like it's, like Salvatic even too with his sort of like Adam too is just like down with the ontological awareness all the time. It's an internal thing. I'm supposed to try to keep myself on the right path. And the rabbis kind of understand it doesn't always work. And the rabbis see that God, after creating us in this way, and after letting us try things on our own for a little bit, does something to help all of us. What does God give us? Starts with an L and it rhymes with schmoz. That's right, laws. Nice. Good job. <laughs> yes, it would be great on Jeopardy. Okay. Right. God gives us laws, and that's what we use to help govern ourselves. So if you look at the last page, right, Rav says, We're not the mitzvot given so that a person might be refined by them. Do you really think that the Holy One of Blessing cares if an animal is slaughtered by the front or the back of the neck? Therefore, mitzvot were only given to make humans better. Right? God is a flawless, perfect being. God does not care whether I turn the blech on before Shabbos or after whatever. God 
does not, is not changed or affected. Now, by the way, this is, a, this is a specific theology that not everyone subscribes to, right? But God doesn't, it doesn't matter to God how the sacrifices happen in the temple. It doesn't matter to God, right? God's going to be perfect whether I put tefillin on or not. So then the reason why I put tefillin on must not be for God. It must be for? Exactly. So the mitzvot are given to refine human beings. Right? That's their role in all of these laws and rituals. It might even be why some of us have dedicated our lives to teaching about them. Right, Because this is the thing that keeps human beings on the straight and narrow path. Right, These meets vote and these rules. Um, on the derech, as they say, over on the other neighborhoods. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, and by the way, According to the Torah, not just Jews get these laws, everyone does. So we'll end with a little Parsha. Parsha to Shavuah isn't that nice. The sages taught the descendants of Noah were commanded to observe seven meets vote, right? This happens at the end of our Parsha, after God, uh, the flood, and et cetera, et cetera. God mentions it's not in one neat place. It's actually in like seven different places, which is why I gave you the Talmud that pulls them all together, right? But God says to the sons of Noah, that you have to establish courts of judgment, prohibition against cursing the name of God, prohibition of idol worship, prohibition against forbidden sexual relations, prohibition of bloodshed, <clears throat> prohibition of, lo- of robbery, and the prohibition of eating a limb from a living animal, yuck. <laughs> and what do we know about the descendants of Noah that is different than all of the laws that are given to like, you know, Moses and such. Who are the descendants of Noah? Everyone, right, exactly. So if the laws are given to the descendants of Noah, that means these are laws that every human being on the planet, according to the Torah, has to follow. Jews get 606 more, right, than those seven, but Everyone has laws from the Torah, and if you look at them, they seem relatively self-explanatory, right? Of, of, of prohibitions against bloodshed and robbery and idol worship and forbidden sexual relations and ripping limbs from animals. Like, this all seems like stuff we would want the whole world to go by. Yoni, I think this, maybe this goes to your sort of like, this is kind of what you need for a functioning society. Like, to fill in, that's later, like that's a different thing, but we can all agree on this. So these laws are given to try and keep human beings in the right vein, I think, right? And, and send, we get more, and I gave you the Ten Commandments at the bottom because, you know, those are ours. But, um, I, but before we go, so do we agree with this premise that the laws and rituals that we have are in some way here to help us refine ourselves? I mean, you have to say it because I'm asking you and I'm right here and I'm not letting you go watch the T-Vote game until, you, uh, until we do. So, okay. Um, s- yeah. Someone said, no, was it, was it you? Oh, because it's okay if it was you. <laughs> Way to give up your friend next to you. This <laughs> okay. Yeah, please. What, why no? Please. Okay, nice. Right. That's nice. So I love, yes, I love that. And I think, 
I mean, I have a thought of an answer, but I don't think anyone knows the answer because it's, you know, God. But I, my thought of an answer is that's partially why our law code, which is quite intricate, um, comes with relatively few teeth, right? If you break it, there isn't, you know, I mean, again, some of them have punishments that God's going to mete out and that's up to God and whatever. But you know, we don't we don't send people to jail for violating kashru. We don't send people to jail for forgetting to daven three times a day or, or whatever it is. And I think part of that is that we have cooked into our law code our own imperfections, right? And, and this is, I could do an hour and a half on this, right? But our laws are beautifully set up with this, I, with there's two kinds of laws, like there's the, in an ideal world and in a non-ideal world, the Hebrew is the chadchilim b'deavad, but don't worry, there's no quiz, um, right? But the idea that like we set up in our law code, the understanding that humans are going to make mistakes, they're going to be in bad situations, they're going to do it wrong the first time, they're going to have to fix it a second time. Like all of that is actually part of it, which I think is kind of cool. And even I think maybe serves the point of saying like, yes, we understand it's going to take some time. We understand it's not, no one's going to be perfect and no one's going to do it right all the time. But the laws themselves as goals of how to act are still sort of important. Maybe, maybe not we can talk about it later. Um, other thoughts on laws as refining of human beings? All right. Um, so we've talked about the nature of man. Here we're talking about what is a human action, right? And by the way, what's the answer seems to mostly be controlling oneself. Right? That seems to be the main goal, according to the rabbis, of what it means to be human. Anecdotally, seems right. Uh, but that's what they're saying. And so then next time we're going to get into sort of in community, how do we act together? And what does that mean? Because we're still very much talking about us as the individual alone. All right. Thank you very much for being here. So nice to have you. Have a wonderful, no, no, no. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.